Welcome to Indie Beacon Radio, where creative souls can find help in marketing their creations. You can send questions for each show on Twitter using the hashtag IndieBeacon. Now sit back and enjoy learning about our guest for this show. Hey, good evening. This is Rox Berkey, and I am so glad that you decided to join us this evening so we can learn a little bit about Ron Kessler and his story, Ruby's Prayer. So welcome, Ron. Uh, Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to talking to you guys. So I kind of wanted to go through a couple of different areas, and I'd like to start our conversation out really about you. I want to know, okay. you know, I, I want to know a little bit about how you started writing, Ron, and some of your background that led you to where you are today. Well, it's that's kind of an interesting thing because, uh, you know, I, I've always been an avid reader. It's all, you know, whenever you're reading a famous author, it's like you're having a conversation with him. You can't talk to him, but he's talking to you. And uh, I've always found that kind of fascinating that you can go back and talk to people that are hundred years old or more and, 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 and find out what they're thinking. And, and anyway, I've always played a lot of golf, but you know, you tear your scorecards up and throw them away and you don't have anything. I wanted to do something that was a little more permanent. So I started writing. I had this idea for the book. I ran it by my uh, wonderful wife, Lori. And uh, she said, well, you just need to start writing. So we went out and bought a computer and uh, I got after it and, Next thing you know, it took me about three years to do it, but I, I, I learned a lot in the process. And uh, but you know, typing the two words "the end" was a pretty monumental thing. It was for me. It was uh, it was it was something pretty special to do. I, I was kind of proud of it. Well, yeah, absolutely, very very exciting to to be able to have it get all the way to that that purpose. But there's a lot of history and background in this particular story that had to take some. <clears throat> excuse me, some significant time for you to research. Well, fortunately, uh, the two towns in the book are Huntsville and Belton, and they're relatively close to where we live. Uh, Huntsville is only about 45 minutes up 45, and Belton is about uh, two hours away, and we were able to do a bunch of research. I had a guy in Huntsville that was a the town history buff and he showed me all around where the railroad tracks used to be in the train station and, and what happened with all of that and then we went over to Belton and stayed at uh, a place called the Morning Glory Inn and uh, it was a house that was built in 1875 it was really interesting and it was all a lot of fun but of course you know if you want to write a book nowadays I mean everything's at your fingertips on the uh, internet so that made it a lot easier too well and and um, there's a lot of museums I'm sure that you had to go to. Bell County Museum was one I think that was referenced, and Temple mm-hmm. uh, Railroad Museum. How did those play into the structure of Ruby's Prayer from a story perspective? Well, when I started writing the book, uh, I, I had pretty much the ending, but I didn't know where to – I knew that uh, the, the, the main characters were going to be in some trouble that they had to get out of. And so I started backtracking about how – what would have to take place for that to happen. And the more I got into the story, the more I needed to do a lot of research to make sure that uh, everything was accurate. I, the, the story takes place over five days in the spring of 1880. And I wanted to give a clear snapshot of what life was like back in those days. And so I went to um, the – 
the prison museum and the guy there, actually what we did, my wife and I, we took a bunch of names off of the uh, prison cemetery that goes back, you know, they've been buried there for 100, 150 years. And the guy at the prison museum, he used some interns to go back and find out who those people were, what they were in for, how old they were when they died, uh, what race they were. And I used a lot. A lot of the names in the book are based are those names. And at at, at the end of the book, when you um, after you finish reading the story, I revealed who those people really were, uh, and and what they were in for, and all all that information. That's kind of an interesting twist. But uh, you know, when I got into it, I I realized that the the living conditions of inmates in that time were horrible. People used to uh, cut their fingers off so they could get off the farms and the railroads and go back to uh, the Walls unit in Huntsville so they didn't have to be subjected to the inhumane conditions they were all uh, forced to live at. And at the time, it was pretty horrible existence. Oh, no kidding. I mean, that's just awful. Plus, you know, the the country in Texas at that point in time was recovering from the Civil War, right? That's a whole bunch of extra loss in there as well. Well, yeah, uh, it's in, in fact, the Walls unit uh, in Huntsville it was uh, the only prison left standing in all of the South after the Civil War. And in, in the uh, prison itself, that's where they used to make the real coarse cotton fiber that they made the Confederate uniforms out of. But, uh, you know, when it, it, it kind of just – I kind of got sucked into an eddy, really, because when I started doing the uh, research – it just got more that there was just another layer and another layer and another layer of the onion the more I looked. And uh, so it was kind of fun doing the research for all that. But at the same time, it was really uh, amazing how uh, it was back then. For example, uh, back in uh, 1876, Texas passed what became known as the pig laws. And the pig laws were put in place because there was a lot of free uh, slaves that were coming into the state that had no skill, they had no money, and they made it a five-year offense uh, automatic uh, in the prison system to uh, if you got stuck, caught stealing a chicken or a pig. And, and these people weren't stealing those animals to, for any other reason than to eat them. And but what but what it, it throughout the South it was that way. And basically what it did is that it, these uneducated blacks and put them to work on the railroads and then the rock quarries and then the, the uh, farms around the state uh so slavery really didn't end at the end of the civil war it it, it continued on in, in a different form for quite some time until uh, uh they were able to abolish all that so it stayed in place more from being a prisoner and in a in a work group than being Correct. a slave owned by a, a, a plantation or or whatever and, the and, and was a lot Right, and in most cases it was way worse uh, because, you know, what they used to do, uh, for example, they used to, they tried to get about two miles of track laid every day, and at the end of the day they would take these railroad ties and and, and just lay them across a ditch, and that would be the uh, housing for the inmates. The inmates would just sleep in the ditch right there on the ground, and there'd be an armed guard standing over the top of them in case anybody tried to make a run for it. Uh, that was common. And if you broke your leg, uh, that was they didn't they didn't wait for you. I mean, you know, they just and they didn't send you back to the prison. I mean, they, you just you know you just died somewhere along there, and they just buried a hole in the ground and kept on going. Wow, I'm glad we don't live in that 
time now. Um, yeah, I feel like I put a big bummer on this conversation. <laughs> but it but it is true. It's all true, you know, and, and uh, it was kind of a surprise for me when we got to digging and looking around. But uh, it's kind of a black eye for the – I love Texas, but it is definitely a black eye on the state that nobody really talks about anymore. Well, and, you know, times change, and there are always things on reflection that are probably worse than, than how they were considered at that point in time by the, by the people that were living them. I mean, it's hard to – very hard to put our modern-day shoes into those specific times and, and really know what it was like other than be totally ashamed of, of some of the treatment of people, obviously. Right. Well, that was the thing that kind of got me about how. Uh, I mean, you could tell how somebody had been, how long somebody had been in prison by the by the uh, discoloration of their black and whites. You know, uh, if somebody was out with brand new black and whites on, you know, he just got in there. If somebody's were all ragged and torn up and, and black from dirt, you knew he'd been there for a while. But you know, it's uh, it was normal back then, and 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 it, and nobody really cared. I guess it was a big. Uh, consensus among people that were outside that you know they they deserved it whatever their fate was that that was it but it was it, like you say it was normal back then but today i mean it would just be um un- completely unacceptable exactly no that's really really true um so i want to cover one more kind of small topic before we before we break for our sponsors and that's along the lines of um some of the the reasons that you decided to choose to focus on a family, because this really is starting with the heart of a family and their, their trials over this short-term period. Well, what made you decide to do it as a family? Well, because I, everybody can relate to it, you know, and, and basically mm-hmm. the story is, is about what, what would you do if you had a second chance when it seemed like that there was all hope was lost at one point? And uh, that covers Tom, the main character. It also covers Jenny Lou. And, and um, that was basically the, the, the point of the story. But it's also about, you know, uh, trying to do – because Ruby's prayer uh, was – she wanted once Tom got out of prison to go back and help his dad with the ranch and make amends with his brother and – and uh, to live a nice life, and that's what he sets out to do. And and um, I, I don't know. I mean, and all of the characters that are in the book, I I can I know very well. It's like I, I uh, they're either part family members or or they're friends of mine that I've known that I put into the book. And uh, I don't know. It just it just kind of came together that way. I didn't set out to do it on purpose, but uh, in the end, I think it uh, it was a nice little uh, touch to the whole story. No, absolutely. It's it's one of those stories that, you know, by all the reviews, it 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 definitely pull the heartstrings and and you know, it'd be a total page turner. Um, so what I'd like to do, Ron, at this point is I want to take a short break um, and give a, a chance for our sponsors to uh, to check in, and then I want to talk a little bit more about some of the next steps that you're taking with Ruby's Prayer. So stay tuned. Sure, absolutely. Howdy, I'm John Cruder, the Midnight Marauder. I guess you might say that I'm a vigilante who rights the wrongs I see along my many travels to balance the scales of justice, especially those of the corrupt and murderous members of the Town Council of Bandera, Texas. 
You can follow my many adventures in a series of Midnight Marauder books written by Roy Clinton on Amazon.com and TopWesterns.com. Or if you prefer, listen to my adventures in audiobook form by downloading them from Audible.com or iTunes. This is R. William James, the voice of the Midnight Marauder. Texas Authors is proud to be a supporter of IndieBeacon.com, a website that supports indie authors from around the world. If you are looking for help with marketing or getting published, IndieBeacon.com can assist you. Years of experience by the founder is available to any indie author looking for help. IndieBeacon.com, a place for creative souls to find help in marketing their creations. Do you love to read great new ebooks? Visit ebg247.com. Be the first to discover the next bestseller. At EBG247, we have the web's largest selection of great new book reads, from that amazing new fiction or nonfiction to horror, romance, and fantasy. We even have today's best children's books. That's ebg247.com. New books arrive daily, and all ebooks start at just 99 cents. If you love to read, then you'll love EBG247. Com. Low prices, large selection, and an easy-to-use website. It's all only at ebg247.com. Well, hello there, my friends. My name is Randy James, independent voiceover producer in the Dallas, Texas area, available to write and record a 30-second commercial, much like the one you're hearing right now. It's a great way to help increase awareness and exposure to your book title. It's easy to do. Simply call me and we'll brainstorm on a few ideas. And in a few hours, I'll whip something up and send you a digital file ready to use. Remember, call or text me, Randy James, at 214-762-1942. Welcome to Indie Beacon Radio, where creative souls can find help in marketing their creations. You can send questions for each show on Twitter using the hashtag IndieBeacon. Now sit back and enjoy learning about our guest for this show. Hi, welcome back. This is Fox Berkey, and I'm so delighted to continue our conversation with Ron Kaiser, author of Ruby's Prayer. Welcome back, Ron. Thank you very much. So I wanted to kind of continue down the path, because I know that Ruby's Prayer was released originally in May of 2016, but there are some changes that, are occurring for Ruby's Prayer in that I understand there may be a project for this from a from a screenplay kind of thing, or what's happening with it? Yes, well, it's kind of a long story, but I'll try to make it short. Uh, when I first wrote the book, uh, this is why nobody should ever quit writing if they really want to do it. But uh, anyway, I wrote the book, but I didn't have a publisher that wanted to talk to me at all because I, I, I wasn't, it was my first book and all that. I ran into a brick wall. Come to find out, I knew Dave Roberts, but I didn't know he had a publishing company. So after I handed it to them, they loved it. And um, after we got the very first copies uh, printed, I showed it to Joe Newcomb, who is uh, Truth Entertainment. They did Dallas Buyers Club, the movie. And mm-hmm. uh, they okay. loved it. So the next thing you know, uh, after I got shut down completely in the beginning, I've got a movie deal in the works. In fact, I've got a conference call tomorrow with uh, um, the writers to go over some of the final drafts of the script, and then hopefully it'll get into production in the fall. But um, 
you know, it, that, that's a whole long process too. But uh, it was just kind of one of those things that, um, you know, at one, at, at one moment I'm, I'm looking at nothing's ever going to happen, happen and ready to shelve it. The next minute I'm signing a movie contract. It's pretty exciting. Well, that's really exciting. And you brought up a really good point about people that, that want to do writing. So it sounds like you really have some, some good concrete advice you could, you could provide to aspiring authors because you didn't start writing when you were a youth. You weren't one of those, um, you know, high school newspaper turned. No, no, I, I learned, uh, you know, I, when I started Ruby's prayer, you know, sometimes when you're writing a book, uh, you get to chapter six and you go, Oh, I, this needs to happen, but I need to go plant a seed in chapter two to make it more important at this point. So I got to, I went back to chapter one and started reading. I was like, man, who wrote this garbage? This is awful. Uh, so, but I knew that by, by recognizing that, that I was getting better. So, uh, I redid the first few chapters and then went on through it and it turned out really good. Another thing that happened is, uh, Dave, uh, Roberts at Defiance Press has a really, really good editor that he turned me on to and she's tightened the book up just perfectly. And, uh, I'm looking forward to using her again on my next book, uh, that hopefully will be coming out the first of the year. It's called, it's going to be called Roped and Tide. It's a little bit different. Uh, it's, uh, about uh, a story that covers 20 years in professional rodeo, uh, but it's set in, uh, you know, it starts off in the early 60s and is going to end in the early 90s. So, uh, uh, but that's that's been a, a whole education too, and it's been a lot of fun too. So you're actually working with a, a professional genre editor to help help make your stories a little bit uh, tighter, or is that what well, I mean? uh, you know, I just I, I don't know. What she did to Ruby's uh, – the first time I had I, I had it edited, uh, I had a lady out of Austin that did it, and I think she just took my money and ran. She didn't really do anything. But uh, this next one that I got, uh, she was a school teacher for 45 years or something like that, and she really – I couldn't tell you a word that she added or took out, but the book just flows perfectly. And uh, so I kind of learned a lot about that too. But uh, I'm excited to get this next one done because I'm really close to writing the end on that one. And, and – uh, and then we'll be off on book number three, which is also going to be a spinoff of uh, Ruby's Prayer. It's going to be called uh, Once I Knew a Hunter. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting that one going, too. Well, it sounds like from someone who really didn't think much about writing, you've really decided to dive in with both feet and head first. Well, it's it's kind of therapeutic, actually, if you want to know the truth. I really like it. Uh, you know, it's not something that I I had no idea if I would or not, but – uh, I really like getting on the uh, computer and, and getting after it. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, and like I say, you're doing something that's going to be permanent, you know, like my grandchildren could open the book up one day and, you know, get to know me a little bit, but just by reading the books, which means a lot to me, we've got a, a pretty big family. I've got eight grandchildren right now and no telling how many great grandkids in the near future, but um, it's something that I, that I really feel uh, passionate about, about leaving something behind that uh, no matter how long I'm gone, somebody could uh, sit down and, and, and maybe have a conversation with me. That's pretty cool. Well, that is cool, and it sounds like your passion and excitement really was poured into Ruby's Prayer, or it wouldn't be coming to the screen. So that's that's uh, equally exciting. So what kinds of things outside of creating um, screenplays and, and new books are you doing to – get out and, and talk to, to readers or are you doing book signings or book fairs? Yes, ma'am. We just uh, had one in, uh, we were at the Republican uh, convention in uh, San Antonio uh, about 
three or four weeks ago. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm not going to have a chance to do much until we have the Austin Book Festival uh, at the end of October. Uh, I'll be out there for three days, or two days anyway. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I, I like sitting down and signing books and talking to people. Uh, and when we were in San Antonio, there were a couple of people that knew all about Huntsville and Belton, but that didn't know that history of why the railroads passed both towns by when they had a chance to go through. And and uh, it's just kind of fun for uh, uh, to talk to people about that, especially if they're history buffs like I am. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. So that's part of your fun is actually going and doing some of that research on the history. And Texas is such a, a rich state. I, I would imagine you're going to be writing for quite some time. <laughs> well, you know, if, uh, if, if, you know, luck holds, I'll, you know, look back and I might have, you know, 10 books stacked up in the corner with my name on it. We'll see how that goes. But uh, I know that uh, the second one's almost done and then I'm going to get on the third one immediately, uh, which I'm really looking forward to as well. And, and um, we'll see what happens. But it's, it's once it kind of gets in your blood, there's, you, you can't get it out. You know, you just have to get on the mm. computer and, and start putting the words down on paper the best you can. Well, I think that's very exciting. So uh, you're going to be October in Austin, so people can come and visit you. Um, where can folks buy your books? Where are they available? Uh, they're on uh, Amazon, and uh, you can get a Kindle version. Uh, I think the audio version is going to be coming out pretty soon. Uh, uh, or you can go to defiancepress.com and order them there, too. Uh, and which, by the way, October 27th to 28th is the uh, Austin Book Festival. I don't think I mentioned that in case people want to come out. Oh, that's great. And you can also get your books on um, uh, Texas Authors right now, right? Right, right, right. I forgot that one, too. And, uh, and I have a are couple you, in, in you... uh, Barnes & Noble down here in the Woodlands, too. Uh, they've, they've been uh, – I've sold a few out of there. Oh, that's exciting. Now, are you also scheduled to be at the Texas Book Festival? That's the one in Austin, yes. That's October 27, 28th. Okay. Now, where can folks learn a little bit more about you? Do you have a website that people can visit? Yes, ma'am. It's uh, ronaldhkaiser.com. You can um, take a look at my mug shot in there. Not my mug shot, but my mug picture. And uh, it's uh, it's a nice nice little uh, uh, website, although, you know, it's only got the one book up there right now. You know, I'd like to have four or five up there before I'd consider myself legit, but but um, people can visit me there or, or Defiance Press. They can find out more about the book there, too, if they want to. Okay. And um, can people, like, find you on Facebook and follow you and see, you know, what's what and where you are? And- yeah. In fact, on Facebook, uh, they can go. And I made a couple of videos about uh, – one video in particular is about uh, – we panned the entire gr- uh, prison cemetery – and there's rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of, of crosses. And I explain how that came to be, uh, how we got the names off the crosses. Because some of the crosses don't even have names. They're just a number on it. And they're so decrepit uh, that, uh, you know, if the, guy, if, if, uh, the guy at the prison museum didn't help me out, I would have had no idea who was, who was buried there. In some, in some cases, there's, uh, I think we found there was three people that were buried in two different spots. They don't know who's in the graves. They really don't. The, in fact, the prisoners uh, – kept um, the records of where people were buried in uh, till 1972. The state didn't even care. But uh, that's mm-hmm. one video. The other video on Facebook is about the uh, uh, railroad tracks that are in ruins directly behind the prison uh, that are still there. And uh, you can kind of get a, a, 
a grasp for um, the history of it and, and, and what it meant to be shackled and chained on the back of a rail car pulling up behind the prison looking up the hill at it. It, it, it was, probably was not a very good uh, feeling at the time. Well, and I'm sure conditions were such that during that period of time that Ruby's prayer represents, uh, I'm sure that uh, you know there were, weren't three three square meals or probably any nutritional value whatsoever in in no, what they were fed wasn't. or how they were how they were housed yeah. or sanitary conditions probably were questionable as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, but but anyway, I mean, without uh, going back into all that, you know, I think if if people read Ruby's prayer. Uh, they'll get a real good, clear picture of what, what everyday life was back was like back there. Because everything from when windmills came out to barbed wire, uh, what the cattle business was going through, what it was like to work on the railroads, everything in the book from a historical perspective is completely accurate. The story's fiction, but uh, everything about it was um, – otherwise, the book was completely uh, uh, verified by a different – ways and means, but uh, I think it will give everybody a good idea what life was like when they read the book. Well, I think that's really the best advice that you've provided so far is people need to go pick up a copy of Ruby's Prayer and read it before it comes out to the big screen so that they can make sure that they've got that background. Um, well, that's and they can again. Gonna... I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. Oh, uh, that, that's one thing that, you know, the, the book is so, there's so many characters and the plot is so wide that the, the, they're trying to cut a lot of it out for the big screen uh, just because of time-wise. So it would, I would appreciate if people actually went and bought the book first and, and read it for themselves because they'll know uh, what the story is really about. Now, we're trying to keep everything with the script writers uh, as close to the story as we can, but uh, the, the, the story is pretty wide and uh, there's just no way to cram all of that into a two-hour movie, so uh, it would be good for everybody to read it first. So that's exciting. So everyone, you need to go get a copy of Ruby's Prayer. You need to visit um, the website at ronaldhkeisler.com, and mm-hmm. you need to check out uh, Ron at the Texas Book Festival in October, and he'll sit down and tell you all about the history and where he's yeah. at on the, on the new stories. So, Ron, thank you very much. I mean, I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for listening to Indie Beacon Radio, where creative souls can find help in marketing their creations. To learn more about Indie Beacon services, to be a guest on the show, or to advertise on our show, please visit our website at IndieBeacon.com.